Welcome to Behind the White Scarves. question here which i felt in retrospect delves a little bit too closely into plot related stuff that if alex wanted us to know he would have revealed it in the text of the book so i'm going to take that question out and i'm still going to ask you this maya do you think mog knows how terrible she is or has she drunk her own kool-aid too does she actually think she's a god you know i'm gonna disagree with you a little bit on this one uh i actually think mog knows that she's full shit and and also just in terms of like a lot of these types of people a lot of these cult leaders a lot of people that are involved these destructive groups when you strip away all of that usually you'll find at the center that it's a fraud and it's a deception i think that the truth is probably a little bit closer to mog having been some mortal figure at some point and acquired power as she went on. I think Mm. that's probably like, this is just my interpretation, by the way. I don't know if this is true or not, but this is the way I read it Mm -hmm. is that I think that is closer to the truth, but she wants others to believe that she's divine or supernatural in some way. The truth is never as important as how, others perceive her, especially the people that are in her inner circle. The more her followers buy into this version of the truth that she's conjured up, basically, the easier it is to maintain control over them. Mm. Again, going back to the, the, the playbook here, she does all of the things that will put that in place. Like, you can, you can see her doing, like... Um, there's a, a guy named Stephen Hassan who used to be in the Unification Church of the Moonies. He came up with something called the BITE model, which is B-I-T-E. In order to maintain control over the followers, the group leader has to have behavioral control, information control, thought control, and emotional control. Mm. You can see that Maud goes down, again, just checking all the, the boxes off of the list. And I think at least in my interpretation, part of the information, thought, and emotional control especially is maintaining this idea that she's some kind of mythical divine figure. But at the heart of it, she knows it's bullshit. She knows it's not true. One of the most, I was going to say interesting, but I can (laughs) sense, uh, I can sense Alex just banging on the mirror Starting to chase me around the garden with a stick, so I shall Interesting. move. Hmm. Uh, we can't say it one more time, otherwise he'll show he'll enter the call. Uh, but uh, the wrinkle in the impression that Morg is this seemingly invincible deific entity from Rama's distant past is that, in spite of the fact that Morg is physically terrifying. They do enter the fray in uh, at, in that city in the sort of latter part of the book. They do more often than not send others as the extensions of 
herself rather than going in there herself. And it feels as if if Morg really was as all-powerful as she presents herself to be, what does she need the others for? She really, she literally needs them to live because she's drawing them at, like they're a set of double A batteries to put in like whenever <laughs> the juice is running low. Uh, what does God need with the starship? That is exactly Theo, Theo just quoted uh, Star Trek uh, Five, I yeah. think. Yeah, and that is exactly what it is. What does God need with a starship? That's actually an intriguing point because. She is such a fearsome presence during the first of the final fight scenes, but she doesn't throw down with the entire Albion army with that kind of power. She just knows that she already has a hook into both Stardancer and Colo, and so therefore, regardless of how powerful they are, it's not a fair fight. She has their button. She has a way in and can beat them no matter how powerful they are individually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, again, this is my interpretation of Moth, but when you strip away all of the the trappings of, you know, this power and she can steal people's essence and that kind of thing, the decaying, crumbling thing that is just kind of always there, mm. that's really who she is. That's who she actually is. And... What this like little thing of of her that you see when she's not fully replenished herself, I think that's a perfect way to look at her is that's what she actually is. And stealing other people's power gives her this facade of being powerful and wise and ancient and all knowing. At the end of the day, she's uh, she deals in deception and snake oil, basically. Mm. There is something unknowable and otherworldly about Morgan, yet her obsession with the ways of the prehistoric past and her intolerance to the disparate races makes her an ominous presence that is firmly (laughs) and deeply entrenched in Rama. Do you think there is anything of her that draws from other worlds? If not, do you feel like there is any connection between her and the other dark, enigmatic presences we've seen in these books, like Yagana. I would like to think that if she did have any connection to the other worlds or other sources of powers, it's superficial at best. Mm. Mm. And much like the people in her inner circle that she uses, that's just another, almost like another layer of clothing or like another shell that she can put over herself it's another Mm. facade that she can wear whenever it suits her purposes she pretends Mm. to know more than she actually does Mm -hmm. oh yeah like i said before she wants other people to think that she does i don't think she actually does Mm. a final question for you maya in the performance of this crumbling creature as you put it were there moments that were difficult for you to record emotionally? Yeah, definitely. Uh, almost all of the scenes between Mog and Colo were difficult to do. The scene that you mentioned before, the unsexing one, that just felt so gross. Mm. Like mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I feel like I have to take a shower after doing that. It just it felt so disgusting and wrong. 
I got through it and it was fine and I was fine. But that scene in particular felt especially revolting. Blech. It was, I was just like, oh, God, I, I hate that this is even happening right now. I don't like it. I understand. And this is exactly how she would approach something like this, a situation like that. But uh, it did not feel great to actually do it. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad I got through it, but it was mm-hmm. not one of the more enjoyable scenes to actually have to sit down and record. I there are for- some fun aspects to playing a villain. There are some decidedly unfun parts to playing a villain. Yeah. I was curious about it because as we've been talking about during this entire process, you recorded the lines, but it took until Alex edited everything together that you got to hear the finished product. Mm-hmm. So it makes me wonder, did it actually hit harder the second time when you were actually hearing the finished product. Yeah, some of them did, especially like I think Toby you mentioned that he was kind of bring certain vocal aspects up or down depending on what the situation was and for the most part I was sitting there going, "Oh, that sounded really cool." Like I was, you know, I was very impressed by it, but it does kind of change the the thrust of the scene a lot of times and that scene particularly was not an easy one to listen back on either. Mm. Yeah. Ugh. All right. I think that's a good point to move away from Morg. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> James, are you still with us? Are you? I are you am kids? still with you. Yes. Okay. This has been brilliant. This has been like one of those one of those podcast sessions where I feel like I'm just listening to a private podcast. <laughs> Those are the most disconcerting ones where uh, it's happened uh, on occasion recording with uh, Alex and Sharon where I will just listen to them speak and then I will laugh at the joke and then they'll react and it's like, the podcast can listen. I like that because when I do listen to, when I do listen to podcasts, usually when I'm like driving or walking the dog or something, if I speak, no one talks back. <laughs> James, I want to give you a big welcome because even though you've been a part of Alex's circle for a long time, I mostly remember you from School of Movies-related stuff, with, obviously, the exception of a scene-stealing role as the Black Shuck in Princess Thieves. But this means that neither Toby or I know a lot of you outside of the Shuck and Dashington. I remember now, because you mentioned it, you're one of Alex's beta readers. Hmm. And, of course, I've gone on to read some of your own fiction work, which we'll definitely get into. But it, it also means that I, I'm now going to ask questions of you that I asked of Theo and Maya a long time ago. The first of those being, how did you first become a part of the School of Movies community? Was it purely through Alex that you were friends before that? Or were you uh, a fan before he started you in- including you on stuff? No, Alex and I knew each other through podcasting before School of Movies, so I've been trying to remember this, and he will almost certainly correct me if I'm getting this wrong. I was host of a Nintendo podcast around kind of 2006 to 2012, 13 sort of era, Um, so the Wii era, and it was called Weeds, Wii DS, Weeds. We were very proud of the name. I didn't come up with it. I kind of muscled my way into the show. I was like, I really enjoy the show. Can I join? And I ended up taking over. Um, And Alex you weeded yourself to... in. Yeah, yeah, very good. Um, 
Alex was doing a show called uh, Digital Cowboys back then, mm. and they did an episode on the Nintendo Wii, so they called me on and, and I chatted to them and we talked about Nintendo. We just we just got on really well. And Alex kept inviting me back for other shows. I think we did one on uh, Legends of Zelda, so like all the different Zelda games. When he transitioned to the Digital Gonzo podcast, which is kind of the predecessor to School of Movies, he kicked off with reviews of the six, then six, Star Wars films. And mm. I joined him for the three original trilogy films. And yeah, I've just I've kind of, he's invited me, he kindly invited me back here and there to you know, talk about Bond. I'm a big soundtrack nerd. I kind of pitched him an idea for a show, Sound of Gonzo, where like, hey, why don't we just talk about our favourite uh, soundtrack cues and play them? And then we've done a few of those. And then obviously, you know, Digital Gonzo evolved into School of Movies and he's very kindly handed me back on a few shows after that. So yeah, no, I've, I've known Alex well over a decade now, purely mm. through podcasting. Um, and so, yeah, when it came to him doing New Century as well, he asked if I wanted to read something. I actually remember he, because I write in my spare time, as you, as you hinted, like we chat here and there about writing. I remember he lent me, lent, lent me, like he's a finished book. He sent me a draft of two books. One was, um, it was kind of futuristic in a very Greek-inspired culture. Like, uh, I'm trying to remember the details because it was years ago, but it was like, uh, it was very kind of futuristic, but they're talking about the Greek gods as if they still believe in them, is my mm. memory of it. Um, and I'm quietly still working, I'm waiting to see if that becomes a new century world. He then sent me the first few chapters for a book called Secret Rooms. It was about two young people at this um, house where they were told they couldn't leave the, the grounds, they weren't really told why, and there was hints of there's some sort of presence in them. This is my memory of a draft I read like well over 10 years ago. There was some sort of presence in the house in a room that they couldn't access and there was trying to... And it, it wasn't finished, but it obviously became Secret Rooms and became New Century Multiverse. So, yeah, I was very lucky to kind of read essentially kind of the, the, the prototype, I guess, as it were, for the uh, New Century Multiverse. Going back to what you mentioned earlier... I found out just from trying to find out more about you prior to the interview that you are a games journalist by trade. And I'm curious, was the podcast that you were just mentioning a moment ago, Weeds, was that something you were just doing because you wanted to have fun talking about games or was that related to your games journalism work? No, that was entirely. I'm a Nintendo fanboy. And I'd only just, you know, around kind of 2006, I was an intern on a magazine in London, a games magazine that no one ever remembers because it was a little B2B magazine. But I, um, I discovered podcasts and I would listen to podcasts while I was working. And one of the ones I listened to was Weeds. And I was like, oh, this is quite cool. I, I love talking about Nintendo games. I don't really have, like... It was kind of that point where the rest of my friends are growing up and not spending all of their life playing video games, and I absolutely refused to do that. So the chance to talk to some people like, oh, what Nintendo games would be like and so forth. And so, yeah, I, I just joined podcasting because I liked I liked the, the format. I liked the idea of kind of this informal discussion thing, and I like talking about games. You, as you said, you've been doing the games thing and games-related things for a very long time. But over the past few years, you become a published author. What spurred you to try your hand at fiction writing? I've actually this the longest running goal for me has to, been to become an author. I've mm -hmm. wanted to become an author since I was, I think it was like four or five. I don't think I knew what an author was. I think it's just I want to write books. 
It's temporary. I apologise. You've opened Pandora's box now. Um, <laughs> if you know anything about us, we would open many boxes. <laughs> yes, of course. We have to bring back one of the mimetic phrases. <laughs> so I, I, I really got into reading at quite a young age. I loved the Roald Dahl books, and I remember reading Fantastic Mr. Fox. And there was something about that story, the fact that the story, most stories by that point in my life, my, my very short life, like they end, you know, the princess marries the prince and they live happily ever after, job done. Fantastic Mr. Fox ends with, no, actually, the farmers are still out there looking for them, but they've got this tunnel that means that anyone who's, apologies if no one's read Fantastic Mr. Fox, I'm spoiling a very classic children's book and I, I highly recommend you read it. But they've got this tunnel to the farmers' farms where they can just go and steal supplies. And the idea that, oh, hang on, no, the adventure can continue. The story goes on. And I think that was what made me think, actually, I'd like to write stories. What happens next? I'd love to write some stories that happen next. So I've, I've wanted to be an author all my life, pretty much. I just haven't had the balls to publish any of it. And Alex, Alex was quite um, encouraging in that regard. Yeah, I've written things here and there. They were mostly awful. Um, and in terms of what spurred me on to actually publish, there's a an annual contest um, that writers do called NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month. Mm. Every November, novelists try challenge themselves to write 50,000 words within a month. It sounds awful, and there can be moments where it is, but it's only 1,600-ish words per day, which is the way I write about an hour's work so if you can just sit and set an hour aside or as I've been trying this since I was like 18 and finally I think it was like 2014 I finally achieved it I finally did the full 50,000 words it's because I booked a couple of days off work and then just wrote all day and I came out with a finished book which is now known as blow the house down that's the one that just came out yeah that's the one that came out that second so I, I finished blow the house down I thought, and I'd learned by this point that you can independently publish stuff. You don't have to go through publishers. You can self-publish things. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, I'll give this a go, but I don't. I don't know if if anyone wants to read this sort of stuff. I'll write something short. And I had a weird. <laughs> it was honestly, one of those things where I had a weird dream, and I thought it might be a good book. So I wrote down this story. It was honestly only meant to be a short story, but it became a novella, and that became Wandless. That's been on my list for a while. I- I've um, had a chance to read it. It's really good. Oh, thank okay. you, thank you so much. So yeah, one one was I just I published, you know, with the thing right. Okay, this is this is my canary down the mine. I can see how easy this self publishing lark is. I can see if people buy the book. If they don't, fine. If they do, maybe I can do this as a living eventually one day. And it went really well. People genuinely really liked um, Wanderlust. Like, I've not sold millions. I'm not rich off it yet. Um, but like. It's really yeah. random things like yes, friends and family have bought copies and told me how long, how wonderful it is. But it's really random things like I checked my Amazon sales and someone bought it in India, and oh. I went I, I went on a, a writing group I'm on on Facebook and asked a question. I'm having real trouble with the scene on a book I'm trying to write, and I was and it was this was it. I was trying to fix blow the house down to publish that, and someone replied the only the main problem with this scene you're talking about is that it's not from the next Wanderlust book. And that was a complete stranger. It's like, oh my god, people have read this. This is really cool. And mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I, so I finally took the took the plunge uh, in. I think it was twenty twenty. Twenty twenty, I published Wandless. And then because I had blow the house down, like ready to go, it was like, oh, okay, I can push that out next year. And then I've somehow I've been my my dream of becoming an author has been put on hold again because I've been given 
a publishing deal from a non-fiction publisher to write mm. about video games. So I've done, uh, it's coming out in August, sorry, shameless book plug alert, August 30th this year, there's a book coming out, The Best Non-Violent Games. That would be my first traditionally published book. And if you're interested in learning more or pre-ordering that book, like I have, I will put up links to both James's author's site and the link to the Pen and Sword site to get that pre-order in. So yeah, I I like writing. That's um, The reason I became a journalist is literally my career plan was, I like writing, I like video games, let's do both. And then... Good the plan. Yeah, it works. It's working so far. And the aim is to eventually become an author. I'm not quite as prolific as Alex. I would love you. He's taken me, what, most of my life to publish two books, and he's on high lose track of how many new centuries there are. All right. Uh, show of hands, anyone here who has published a whole book? <laughs> okay, I'm not well, seeing you many are, hands, okay. You are, you are officially 200% ahead. Uh, I don't know how math works, but like <laughs> two is two more than zero. So, you know, kudos to you. Yeah, I've, I've got a couple of books that I'm probably going to be checking out and ordering as soon as we're done here. So thank you very much. Also... I think it's just a truism that everyone has some writing that they're ashamed of in their past that they don't want anyone to see. I'm very, very glad that I lost all copies of the Transformer fanfic I wrote <laughs> when I was 20. Until now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That's, that's on some... This is before Google Drive, so that's on some computer that died long time ago. So... <laughs> somewhere on a, on a laptop I've got my original attempt to write books was I was trying to write these spy stories and you read them back and they're basically really shit James Bond films mm-hmm. <laughs> like awful now you're not usually one of the people Alex taps for audio drama roles I went back and I was like thinking to myself I know that he's done more than the black shock but then I like go to the cast and be like no that was Matt Ramsey no that was also Matt Ramsey and I was just like I felt like you were more part of the long-lasting New Century canon than you were. So I'm finding myself curious, how did you... You said that uh, you were specifically picked to play Sir Dashington back when Alex gave you the beta of it. But how did you get picked to play the Shuck? Uh, This is where the conversation becomes far less classy and cerebral uh we're not going to go full-blown behind the actor studio here i'm so sorry after following maya and theo this is not going to be as interesting in conversation honestly i just like doing silly voices that is, <laughs> that, is that is it i just love doing silly voices my favorite uh, character in the police academy movies was the one that did the silly voices and um going back to like so like digital gonzo when digital gonzo, digital gonzo started I was on the original trilogy episodes for the Star Wars films and Alex and I got into this whole thing of how funny it is when you quote Star Wars lines in a West Country accent. <laughs> because of I love you. Right? I know. <laughs> you like your father are now mine. Oh, <laughs> sorry about that. Just so you know, we're all about to die. What? Well, there's a big dirty pile of derelicts coming around the corner there. You can see them just in the distance and they're going to come at us and they're going to kill us. So, uh, a, a pile of what? Derelicts, you know, you know, uh, trash can fillers, about yay high, with plungers. It's like a tiny grain silo, except they're not filled with grain, they're filled with hate. You know, anyway, so if we could just all leave right towards our TARDIS, we could get in the TARDIS and we'll be safe. Come on, come I, on! I don't, I don't have any money. It's so hard to get companions these days. 
Maybe I'll try Tinder. It's just it was just so stupid, and it just it just kept going. I think then when he had this idea for, I basically had an email or a text or a Twitter direct message or something. He basically said, "James, I've got a West Country Batman. Do you want to?" Play? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, absolutely, I do. So Chuck honestly just comes, to, yeah. Um, <laughs> to quote Robin Williams, "Well, I do voices." That's <laughs> honestly, I'm not that serious an actor. I just like mucking around. Black Shot is so evidently quotable and such a joy. Uh, so I, I, now I remember. I, I think that's the one book I didn't get to read ahead of time. Yeah, no, that, that, that was it. Because I, it, starting from Steamheart, I got to read ahead. So I didn't get to read all of Princess Thieves before I recorded my lines. I just got my scenes, and so. Obviously, when I do the first scene and he gets taken out by Mortimer, is it Mortimer? It's Mortimer. Yeah. Um, I just know all I knew is he's West Country Batman, and then I got sent the later scene where, and I thought that was it. I thought that's it. That's just going to be the whole part. It's just a cameo. It's just, it's just silly. And then I got sent later. So I got more lines from the shock. I said, like, okay. And then it, yeah, it was this whole Gregory thing, and it's, I, I then had to start thinking about it. It's like I. Because I'm not, I'm not a very professional actor. I literally was just like, right, I've got to keep the West Country accent, but I can't sound like I'm taking the mic. It's got to sound quite serious. I've got to drop the gruffness and sound a bit more honest. And it was really, it was, it was really interesting to do. And then it was great, kind of. I think it's kind of a post-credits thing on like the last episode. Him being black into full shockness is great fun. That actually is a really good point, and Toby and I are going to discuss more about that when we actually dive deep into Princess Thieves, that the shuck comes back and he actually has moments of vulnerability and deeper meaning than just the campy character that appeared in in Chapter 5. Would you be interested in actually doing more with the shuck, like doing the camp, but also more fully fleshing him out as a character? So we're getting yeah. a Black Shuck book in phase three, right? <laughs> I'd be interested. I don't know, more of a one-shot rather than a full book. Mm. Um, I'd, be, I'd be interested, yeah. I think yeah, it's, it's a good, fun character to play, as I say. I, it, I found it really interesting when I got sent those extra lines. Oh, no, there's more to this guy than just him being a comical character that's just here for a little bit of levity. I would be interested in it. I'm not sure how confident I would be because, as I say, I don't I don't rate myself as an actor. I think it depends. Mm. Alex's books get very kind of personal and emotional, and I, like I said, I just do silly voices. Mm. But I'd certainly be willing to give it a try. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, it definitely sounds like you have like you're doing the thing that you've been doing vocationally for a very long time, and I'm very interested to read this uh, this nonfiction that you have coming out here. I have to say. And at the same time, you just said that being a writer um, is something that you wanted to do since you were very young. So trying to tack voice acting on top of that probably <laughs> would be like we're, we're definitely ha- glad to have you around for anything that Alex chooses to tap you for. But I can understand if it's not a, a specific avocation for you, regardless I'm, of the fact that we love it when you're present. <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely terrible for taking too many things on. I mean, case in point, the fact that I just didn't even think I just said, yes, I will absolutely do your script. Mm-hmm. But it's like I juggle a I don't want to do a kind of what is my, me moment, but I do. I juggle a full time job, a part time job my non-fiction books, I want to get back to my fiction books, and I have a family. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a full-blown voice acting career, probably not on the cards at this point. And for those of you that are curious about what James just mentioned about me giving him a script, spoilers. Turning away from uh, Black Shark and going back to Dashington, I was 
curious if there were any points of inspiration for the way that you played him or that either you or Alex drew from? Alex kind of gave me the inspiration like from the beginning. When he originally said, like, you know, there's a character, Sir Dashington, I think you'd be good for him. You might be interested in playing him. He essentially told me he, this guy is basically Donovan from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, mm. which is one mm. of my favourite films of all time. And that moment, you know. I didn't trust him. Why did you? Because he didn't take my advice. Didn't I warn you not to trust anybody, Dr. Jones? One of the best moments of the film. As you just heard, I do a terrible American accent. So <laughs> that was never going to happen. So in terms of how the voice was, it is largely just... Alex is right. I'm not saying this just to butter him up. Alex's writing does kind of leap off, leap off, off the page at you. Like when I first read Panther Soul, I kind of... You can hear in your head this is how Dashington sounds. I can almost hear the intonation of each different word. This is how he's saying that and imagining how I'm going to do it. In terms of the voice, it's very kind of, it's my kind of go-to posh old man sort of voice. A little bit clipped, which I take from really random source, but my wife made made me, I say made me, I really enjoyed it by the end. My wife made me watch all of Desperate Housewives. And (gasps) there was... There's a series where Dugray Scott, the Scottish actor Dugray Scott, is in there as Terry Hatch's boyfriend. And it's got this very clipped voice where he's not quite talking with his whole mouth. And it's all, it's like he's trying to keep his voice at the back of his throat. And I just love that. I thought that was just good fun. I... It's like, yes, Susan, of course. No one is judging you. If anything, they're judging that dreadful Lynn. I should be thanking you for driving her away. It usually takes a crucifix and some garlic. And I just, I, so that combined with the posh old man voice was Dashington to me. I'm so glad that we are the particular interviewers for that moment because I'm here to say that I sort of dropped off at one point, but watching episodes of Desperate Housewives with my mum when I was probably far too young for them was uh, a bonding moment for us. So I actually remember who you were talking about and can say, yes, that's actually. I hear it now. So, what a what a wonderful, obscure, and esoteric uh, point of uh, inspiration. But I'm so glad to hear it. It was just it was just in such an odd way for him to portray. Like I've seen him in a couple of other things, and I've never seen him do that voice anywhere else. And like me and my wife would just take the mick out of it for months um, after that. And I just it was just, it just stuck with me. Obviously, I haven't seen Real Housewives, but I have seen Dugray Scott act, and I know that he does tend to have a very distinct way of talking that sort of got in my head a little bit when I watched him play the villain in Mission Impossible 2. Tell me, you, you don't exactly hang on Naya's every word and gesture, do you? It's a fairly righty nail, that. Someone, please. Suppose she is some sort of... Trojan horse sent in by IMF to spy on us. Why should I deny myself the pleasure of a ride or two? Or don't you think I can learn more from her than she can from me? I do! I do! I do! I do! I do! Now, Hugh, you must realize that some of us have the burden of sex to deal with. And I may or may not know why she thinks she's here, but I'm willing to take the risk. 
That's my that's my favourite role for him, and he's he's proper. That's pro, he's proper sinister, isn't he? He's got that. that he's got his full Scottish accent, whereas I think in Desperate Housewives he's trying to do English. So, but I don't think Dashington was Scottish, and my Scottish accent was awful, so I wasn't going to attempt that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, honestly, Donovan was the first character that came into mind because mm-hmm. obviously the the Last Crusade influences on Panther Soul are very real here. I don't remember who quotes it. It might have been Leah. It might have been Beatrix. But I think someone says at one point that uh, the race to get the uh, Cloudbreaker is a race against evil. Uh, there's there's a lot of great references in a lot of New Century books. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm usually when I'm re- whenever I'm reading them, I quickly DM Alex. Is like I've just got to this bit. I see what you did there. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. It's really the dominant. And it's about that moment of at the end, like when they get to the city and like Donovan's already there and he's like really chummy with Colo and Alex kind of pointedly like directing me like the the fact that he's first naming Colo Dashington's doing it as if like well you know it's an honor that I'm using your first name but it's also in the moment it's really driving home how badly Colo has seemingly betrayed all the people he's with because he's mm. been working with these guys from the beginning and yeah like the knowledge that Dashington is is the the reveal at the end that he's convinced he's doing the right thing like the best I love villains villains are great and the best villains are obviously like the, you know the heroes of their own story I particularly like villains who you say hero of your own story you're like it's always like you know villains who are going against hard they see themselves as going through hardships to prove you know to get what they deserve and so forth and the way Dashington is he's kind of like he's, he's just it's day-to-day life he's just he's just part of the expansion of the lion empire and this is just a this is the best way to do it and it's like and it's just there's a smugness there there's a real smugness of like, well, I know what I'm doing and I'm definitely doing it right. And anyone else who thinks otherwise is just ignorant, like simple as that. I love a smug villain because you as the reader or viewer or whoever you are, have a smugness of your own because you know they're going to get their comeuppance. So you mm-hmm. kind of enjoy the smugness because you know it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to come to an end. So you want to see the moment where their smug smile disappears and they realize, yeah. oh, I'm in deep shit. <laughs> and I and I love I love the moment where actually there's two moments where where Dashington that, that smugness goes like one is obviously like when he's um begging with Colo like please you know Shrike would have done this that's the one that's the one point actually where I veered away from the Degrowth Scott was still the voice with the posh old man but I could hear myself the way that it, the way that Alex had written the lines he's like you know. Colo, please, remember how merciful I was. Found the Cloudbreaker for you, I say, still advancing. Shrike, Shrike would have had you all executed. I told you in the clearest terms how much I actively sought to avoid bloody conflict and needless loss of life. I want you to keep on living. The way that Alex wrote it, it took me immediately to Scar in The Lion King. It was the hyenas. It was their idea, it was their idea. And it's like, it's there, that desperate begging and manipulating and like but not from any kind of position of power literally just from a point of desperation so that that moment is like right the smugness is gone there and i drew a little bit from scar there and then the best bit is the uh the fact that he gets punched by a giant robot <laughs> like that's that's the end of dashington essentially well not the end but like that's how that's the last real time we see dashington james remembered it slightly off in that dashington was just hit by colo wearing the cloudbreaker which was honestly bad enough. If Dashington had been struck by the Smilotron, he wouldn't likely have survived. 
I kind of pictured it as, and I did, I don't think Alex used it quite obviously because he's a serious, you know, serious book, but um, just the way it read and the way I picture it in my head, I pictured the kind of Team Rocket blasting off again mm-hmm. moment of the Pokemon series. In the audio, it absolutely came across as that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there is actually, there is a recording somewhere on Alex's hard drive of me going, looks like Sir Dashington's blasting off again! Oh, because I hope we get to, to use that. <laughs> to me, that moment just reminded me of the first Iron Man movie where you just have that gloriously swift bit of Iron Man just sort of landing and inside of 20 seconds, everything's done. And it's like the bit where he just brings the guy out and says, he's all yours. Yes. <laughs> it's actually kind of intriguing now that I'm thinking more about Dashington and Donovan because as you were just mentioning a moment ago, Dashington, his power seems to stem from the idea that he is a source of authority and wealth within the existing power structure and therefore his goal is to strengthen the Albion Empire because that keeps his power strong, whereas Donovan is using the Nazis, but he clearly thinks that, you know, he cares about what's actually important. And as he says in the movie, I'll be toasting myself while the Nazis go the way of the dodo. Like he will outlast them. Yeah. He's using, he's using the the Nazis so that he can get the prize itself. Whereas Dashington genuinely believes in what he's doing. And I don't know enough about history to talk about this confidently, but it's, it's the whole colonialism, isn't it? It's the coming to the new world and believing you are making everything better. We are making everything better because we're civilized. We're civilized. We are civilization. You are savages. We will show you the better way. Mm-hmm. And like being absolutely convinced that your way is the right way and these ignorant beasts just don't know yet. The line I love that it just most sums up Dashington for me. I just literally told you I'm going to assist with the planned westward expansion in a way that will cause less bloodshed as we control these savages through their own misguided trust in long outmoded hoodoo. I am proposing a far diminished loss of life, avoiding a long drawn out, destructive and extremely costly war with the natives, and somehow that makes me a monster. You really are a silly girl. (laughs) You are a silly little girl. And it's like, he, yeah, it's like, I don't understand how you don't get that this is the way to do things. Like what I'm doing is nothing wrong. What I'm doing is progress. This is the future. This is how it should be. And that's not an arrogance kind of, that's literally just facts. Like, that's how it is. That's how it is back home. This is how we got the Albion Empire. We're going to bring it over here and make things better. James, is there, obviously, uh, in, in terms of the entire scope, like, it's, Panther Soul is chalk heavy of characters. Um, and, like, of, of the list of villains we have here, uh, in comparison to the brutality of Shrike and the, uh, the the dark divine intensity of Mog, Dashington sort of a little bit sits at the kiddie table, but I'm curious um, if there was anything about uh, your work uh, bringing Dashington to life that you were particularly proud of. Do you think that Dashington is a character that anything compelling or entertaining could be done with? In the future, it obviously he survives the events of Panther Soul and is a prisoner. But now that he's no longer in a position of this smug authority, do you think that there is room for him other than just being 
part of the ongoing lore of New Century? And if not, is there some other role in the future that you'd be interested in? I think it'd be fun to bring Dashington back. I think you could do it in a few ways. Like, I don't want to guess what Alex is doing, but you know, I can imagine him kind of essentially bribing or influencing his way out of being a prisoner into a position of power again. I don't, it, he's one of those characters that, Alex's characters obviously are almost all like, you know, really kind of um, deep and they have gone some great character arcs, but Dashington's one of those ones I can see just being so, I can't, I, he's one of those people like so, so set in his ways, I can't imagine his attitudes completely changing. I think it would be interesting that, yeah, maybe he's like, you know, being a prisoner sees how things are done for those who aren't in positions of power and influence and therefore he changes his tune and, and seeing how he goes on from that. But I, he's the sort of person I can just imagine, like, gets back into power as soon as he can and just goes back to how he was. And I think that would be fun. To, he's never going to be kind of the A-class villain. He's going to be like the B-class villain. I would love in like another a future kind of Rama story for again kind of him to be like a third act reveal of a villain that has been behind it all along but then obviously he's not the main villain behind it all along he's been working with the actual villain because let's be honest he's not that threatening and just that kind of that that kind of sudden return and particularly if, if Colo's still involved and you know Colo's like right you're trying to find out who's behind things and then encounters Dashington again I think would be great fun to play. It would work so well for Colo to be the one who sees a Dashington up here who says, it, it was me all along. And Colo goes, oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> now, all of a sudden, I'm thinking like The Mummy, where Colo runs into, well, if it isn't my old friend Dashington, yes. I think I'll punch you now. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. That would be, yeah, I'd love that. That'd be great. <laughs> or if or if Colo like, needs to... Because Dashington's this collector of antiquities and Colo needs to find out where an antiquity has come from. He has to go to Dashington. And Dashington's like, oh, well, look who's come back. <laughs> I, I feel there's a lot of comedic potential with Dashington because, as you say, he's this character who is very functional for Colo's journey. And so the fact that he survives it is a surprise. And then if you were to see it in a different story, it would be a surprise to the audience because it's just... It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! Oh, you're still around? Okay, yeah. what are you up to? And I could almost imagine that having been put into the position of being a prisoner, he would work quite well in a role that is almost completely different to how we previously saw him. Like, he's just sort of ended up with nothing really much to show so he's just kind of started a really small business in a random city and the adventurers just come across it and he's trying to peddle something that's like an obvious scam or something like that alternatively i'd absolutely love if cola gets thrown into prison somehow and you know there's always that character that kind of runs the prison if you've ever watched porridge the old um, bbc sitcom oh, yeah. the, gr the grouty sort of character like, I'd love Carlo to be in a prison finding out, oh, this, you know, this this guy that you you need to get him on your side to in order to get out of here or to, in order to curry favour, and that be the real It's Dashington. And he's basically made himself, like, the inmate that runs the prison. <laughs> I can get you anything you want. The cat equivalent of cigarettes. Yeah, exactly. Catnip. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to sell facing the bay? I'll see what I can do. <laughs> 
it works. I'm I'm genuinely rooting for this now. Alex mentioned a while back that he was writing Panther Soul with Tiger's Eye in mind, and to many, that is the favorite book of New Century fans. This book needed to either surpass it or he needed to craft something of equal weight to stand alongside it. Having now taken part in that process, do you feel like he succeeded? And did you feel any internal pressure regarding that as a part of encapsulating your character? Yes and yes. <laughs> we, we went from Indiana Jones to Voltron, and I am 1,000% here for it. Oh, that is going to be on the list of the uh, the, the the Smilotron unearthing itself and in that that whole reveal. I hear I hear eighty synth in the background. Just oh, it sang to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. That was not how I was expecting the story to go. Uh, <laughs> no. but I was very pleased when I got to it. <laughs> Nobody expects the third act Jaeger. Our chief weapon <laughs> is surprise, surprise, and fear, and, fear. <laughs> and a giant cat robot. Mm-hmm. And I'll form the head. Although that was actually very cool that even though it's one tiger robot thing, as a team, they share the roles of controlling it because potentially, uh, they're probably going to explore this more in, in book three, the capabilities of the Smilotron is at least partly based on the strengths of whoever's piling it as well. So The process of listening to Panther Soul's audio adaptation was truly special. I felt like the strengths of everyone involved in its construction had climbed to new all-time highs, and that undoubtedly extends to each of you. So, first of all, thank you all for your wonderful performances, whether it's through amusing me, reaching me on a profoundly emotional level, or haunting the ever-living fuck out of me. You all turned in immensely memorable performances, so thank you. Oh, right, this was meant to be a question, wasn't it? Uh, So, well, I suppose I'd just like to ask you guys if there was anything about your work in Panther Soul that you were particularly proud of, which you haven't already gone into? I just really like Stardancer. They're such a cool character. They are definitely neat. Kind of a, a, a Black Widow type I mean, that's the best stamp of success on your own work when you feel like after you are done with the performance of the character, it's just like, yeah, that, I just really like that character. I, 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 I enjoy I just, I just want to give Star a, a nice fluffy blanket and some hot cocoa and a spot by a campfire and just hug them. Mm. There's probably cocoa on the Smilotron. Also, everyone wants to hug an enormous cat. That's just... Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, but not all of us are lucky enough to have Maureen, Greg. <laughs> oh. There was a moment just last night where I was on... Uh, I was watching Hannah Peregrine on the Discord play a Kirby game. I was going in through Discord and Alejandro Vargas joined us. And I mentioned, look, I'm I'm running all in stamina. I, uh, I got to go... Uh, Join Maureen in the bedroom, and they're like, "Yeah, go hug the shit out of that cat." My, <laughs> 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 right. was there anything right. that uh, you are particularly proud of that you haven't already gone into? Yeah, uh, well, first of all, Toby, thank you for saying all the nice things. And uh, again, I pumped my own tires a little bit, but I was like, ah, 
I think I really nailed this character because I understood her so well. And I, like I said, I had done so much unintentional <laughs> preliminary research on her. But mm. the very last scene where she appears, where she's finally taken down. Oh, that was such great fun. Mm. And I almost, mm. I almost, not completely, but I almost blew my voice out doing because there was a lot of incidental noise there was a lot of fight sounds there was a lot a lot of screaming and i got to visualize that old bitch's face melting yeah. and turning it to oh, it was so great and oh. uh i i had some i had a particular bit of fun doing all the like the death throws and like her final screams and, like all that stuff it was just Oh, it was so satisfying, and I felt like it came out very well, and I got some pretty good screams in there. So it was satisfying in the just being able to do something different in terms of the vocal performance, but also it's like she's finally gone. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> Ding dong, the witch is dead. The witch, the wicked witch. It was very fun to listen to that segment. So thank you so much. It was so satisfying to listen to. I think I was mowing my lawn when I was listening to that. And I stopped <laughs> mowing when that scene hit. And I was like, yes, she's finally getting it. It's happening. <laughs> I, I, was... must, I must have looked like a maniac to my neighbors just standing there in my front lawn going, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was doing like a half marathon at the time. And like it was sort of around the sort of seven mile thing and i was like losing my energy and then i was just like oh i've got some energy back now <laughs> i have my second win now thank you <laughs> i love a good villainous this cannot be moment you know or even just like and like any moment that's similar to that like obviously emotionally or thematically it's not the same but it's like thor versus hulk in the arena and looking going yes that's what that feels like i'm sorry i'm just a huge fan of the sport yeah <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm particularly proud of honestly, honestly the two scenes that he's in, like were the two main scenes he's in. So the setting up Colo on the quest in the first place, mm -hmm. that was just really good fun to do. Like mm -hmm. um, again, drawing the Indiana Jones kind of parallels here, like that part at the beginning where Indy is told about or talks about whatever relic it is, where you know they're explaining why the MacGuffin is so important. Um, when they explain that to the audience, to be part of that scene was really good fun. Um, and then, like I said, like that end, you know, I literally just told you I'm doing this and I'm not, the, and, and you somehow I'm the monster. That whole scene, and again, like just in being able to kind of express that level of smugness um, was just really good fun. I just mm. I really enjoyed it. We also now know that in addition to everything else Alex has planned, there is going to be a third book in Rama called Planet of Cats. And aside from how Panther Soul just left off, it's all just a nebulous idea of what such a story could involve. So I have a question for each of you regarding such a book. Theo, what in your opinion is next for Stardancer? Yes, they are tied to the Kitty Kadra uh, name actually pending, by various positive and negative connections, but what would you want to explore with them as a character based on how Panther Soul ended? First of all, I'm going to buy the domain name kittycadra.com. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but there it is. Um, I mean, you'll be thankful that you have it. Yeah, yeah. 
I don't know. I think they're going to have to unpack everything they went through. The healing does not begin and end with leaving the bad relationship, the bad thing. It starts and it's not going to be an uphill journey all the way. There's going to be backsliding and, and complications. Uh, and I think Alex, if if that is explored in any depth, is going to do a good job with that because he doesn't wrap things up like that in a nice, neat little bowl and just leave it like that. It's got to be fully realized. Are you intimidated at all about the idea of potential future scenes between Star Dancer and Rao? Intimidated, maybe not the right word, but definitely sort of wondering which pool of emotion I'm going to have to pull from. Mm. Because uh, it's it's definitely going to be a, an emotional kind of thing, and that can be difficult to sort of pull out and put to the forefront. Because I'm used to keeping those things a little back. I I am looking forward to it. I think it's a, it'll be a good challenge. Maya, Panther Soul is, as we have just thoroughly gone into the end of Mog's story. <laughs> <laughs> and you have plenty of other heroic and villainous characters to play in other parts of New Century. But if in book three you were to play a new character in Rama, do you have any preferences as to what you would like to try? Funny enough, Alex, ha I can't remember when we talked about this or if it was on Discord or if it was in a different recording session or something. But he mentioned that he's like, you know what, I think for like the next book that takes place in the, the realm of the cats. Like when we finally get to the third one, I'm going to have a character that's just a complete nerd. And, <laughs> and it's like, is that something you might like to do? Like, hey, sure. I, I think that would be great. But he was like, yeah, I think, I think we need to have you play someone that is, a nerd in the sense that she's very knowledgeable about one very particular thing or a series of, you know, like a collection of very specific things, but like super like hyper-focused about something in a way that people that are kind of nerdy about their professions or hobbies can be. And I think if he does decide to go in that direction, it would be something I'd be happy to do. And do you think you'll break out there? Mom, that's absolutely yes. Yeah. Yes. In fact, I think I think Alex would be upset if that didn't make an appearance. <laughs> oh dear. Brilliant. This is an absolutely ridiculous question, but I feel like you're here, I would regret it if I didn't ask it. How do you think the black shuck would react, Sash? What would he get up to if he found his way into Rama? Because think about it. He could meet his own version of Catwoman. And they'd be an actual cat. I would love that. That would be absolutely amazing. I might have to kind of pressure Alex. Look, can we just... Can they, what, is there a Rama equivalent of the Black Shuck? There may well be. <laughs> That's got to happen. I think, this, I think the Shuck would be great. Like he, I think he'd cope well enough with the idea of being in this world of giant cats. Because let's face it, his world is already like shared by three fantastical races and there's magic. So it's not like it's a too big a stretch for, okay, giant talking cats. Yep, I can go with this. Um, in terms of what he would get up to, I think he would start seeing the injustice and stuff in the, in the city, certainly the way that people treat. And he'd, he'd try to he'd take it on himself to be, you know, to be the symbol, to be the black shark, fight for the little guy as it were. But he would make a complete pig's ear of it. 
now I sort of want to see a moment where he is saying, I'm the black shuck. And then someone from Rama just says, what the hell's a shuck? <laughs> <laughs> it's complicated. I haven't really thought about what a shuck is, but it's a symbol of evil and terror. And why are you sharpening your sword like that? I'll go now. <laughs> So, wait, you're the evil or the terror? I'm confused. <laughs> just, that's how the just, conversation... If you can just point me in the direction of the nearest pub, I'd be much obliged. Also, I'm just picturing, like, either the Shuck himself or the Rama version of the Shuck. He's looming on a rooftop like Batman does, like a gargoyle, but like, I am the terror. And then he's suddenly, like, sliding off the roof, and he paws at it like you imagine a cat trying to not fall off a ledge. And then he falls to the ground, but he's a cat, so he lands on his feet, and he just looks around going like, oh, I meant to do that. Completely intended. Finally, even though you have all played characters in Rama, that might be different from your individual preferences. If you yourselves were cats in Rama, what kind of cat would you be, and what kind of place slash biome would you want to live in? I definitely want to be one of the tigers. I've always, tigers have always been my favourite big cat, and I used to love climbing trees, and Haral climbs trees, so yeah, jungle, tiger, I'd be up for that. All right. There's a particular breed of cat, a wild cat, called a palace's cat, or a manul. Hmm. They are, they're solitary, and they are just nothing but grumpy balls of fluff. And I would live somewhere in a cabin by myself, and a couple dogs. Be, be gruff and irascible to passing adventurers, but hospitable and welcoming. Uh, you don't want to go down that road. No. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about, like, I've never considered this, but, like, a cat in Rama having dogs that just raises some animal crossing. But like... there are dogs in <laughs> Panther Soul. I remember this. It's when... It's when Colo was actually meeting with Dashington for the first time. Dashington oh. has hounds. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Right, then there's precedent. Yeah. Never mind me, then. <laughs> it was at this point that Theo showed us a picture of the palace's cat that they just referred to, which I will show a picture of in the show notes so you can see what we're reacting to. Oh, oh, this is... Uh, okay, I'm going to have yeah. to include this on the... Oh. Yeah, they, they, they barely wow. look like cats. They're just, just so F off and leave me alone. Get off my no damn lawn. That cat actually reminds me of the the big cat in The Last Unicorn. Yeah, oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. The pirate yeah. cat. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Just slap an eye patch on him. <laughs> because I be what I What be. I be. <laughs> Love that cat. And no cat ever gave a straight answer. Arr. <laughs> well, I guess uh, we know what Beatrix's crew will be uh, encountering on the seas, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maya, what's your answer? I kind of want to say something similar to the idea of like maybe not a tiger specifically, but I, I think I would want to be some a, a cat that either climbs trees all the time because I a lot of times have so much energy that I practically climb up the walls myself and like something that's basically a giant jungle gym for me to play around with, I think would be a good setting. But I also <laughs> like the idea of just large cat go fast. So maybe a <laughs> cheetah. 
And maybe that, that would looks... be a good balance of the two. Mm. If you picked a cat that actually likes being in water, you could even be a waterworks stunt actor there too. That's true. Mm. <laughs> Speaking for myself, I think I'm happy with the Rama version of me that already exists of the lynx shaman uh, there. So I would just not rock the boat and just keep on going with that. Try my best to do things uh, well and make sure people are okay. I realize that it's actually not intrinsic to who I view myself as a person, but having been thoroughly entertained with this particular breed of large cat having fun, I would want to be a, a snow leopard with their enormous oh, tails. Go. There was this one, if I can find it again, I'll link to it when I post the, uh, the show, of a snow leopard being in a zoo and having enormous fun I would say attacking, but it's almost like he's dancing with his own personal pumpkin. <laughs> Is that a euphemism for something? <laughs> I hope not. I'm scared. <laughs> I need, I need an, an adult. adult. <laughs> I mean, it's not oh, quite boy. like Star Dancer. I get the feeling like the Snow Leopard is enthusiastic about dancing and just not very good at it. But <laughs> it's... Wonderful to see you all again after, I guess it's been a year at least, probably more since we did this. More so, that, yeah. so thank you both so very much for making time. And I can't wait to see or hear whatever the two of you do next, because you're among my favorite people and it's been an honor. And such a pleasure to be able to spend time with you guys again. Thank you so much for making the time. This was fun. Yes, thank thank you guys very much for doing this. Thank you so, so, so much for having me on, fellas. And uh, Maya and Theo, brilliant to finally put faces to the voices. It was good Absolutely. to talk to you too. Yes, same to you. Hmm. Okay, I, I need to not be staring at a screen now, so we'll see you around the multiverse. Take care. And that brings us to the end of our time with Maya, Theo, and James. To close us out, some more outtakes from Panther Soul, followed by a song specifically picked up by Theo Lee when I asked her for a piece of music that made her think of Star Dancer. Next episode, you'll get to hear from Loretta, Spencer, and the newly renamed Maureen Foley Downing, my lovely wife, for their thoughts on Panther Soul. Probably not going to be very popular on these shores. And I mean with any of the cats. Especially when mine get the zoomies. Oh, you can't have been that much of a scallywag, Scunflower. Scunflower? I said Scunflower, didn't I? Oh, you can't have been that much of a scallywag, Scunflower. Oh, you can't have been that much. Blah. Oh, you can't have been that much of a scallywag, Sunflower. Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> Side and match. That first duel was a uh, fuck. I'm I'm still in New York one. That first duel. That first duel. 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 W N B C. All right, that's something. But how about you just act like you're fighting? No, no. But how about you act like you're just okay at fighting? I have an idea. But how about you? It's a really weird way of pronouncing things. Like it's very singular yeah, to yeah. New Zealanders. <laughs> it's like. It's a little bit South African as well. 
because I think there's some slight Dutch uh, settlers um, of the white folks in New Zealand. But, yeah. but how about you act like you're just okay at fighting? Because I have an idea. I have to get a mix between a stone gun. Oh my god, I feel so bad, I forgot his name. Well, that's okay, because no one else turned up. Uh, Meek. No, the no, wait, Meek is my friend. The other one. Oh, wait, wait. My name is the Mighty Thor. It's Kronk. Kronk? I was gonna say Kronk, but I've watched The Emperor's New Groove recently, so I thought I was mixing it up. Uh, I was uh, going to do a Korg. Korg. I, was I going knew to, it started with a K. I was gonna start a revolution, and I sent out leaflets, but the only people who turned up were my mum and her boyfriend, who I hate, so <laughs> didn't happen. So, you any good? You any good? Oh, God, what are we going to do? Don't worry, Mr. B. I have a cunning plan to solve the problem. Yes, Mordick, let us not forget that you tried to solve the problem of your mother's low ceiling by cutting off her head. <laughs> but how about you act like you're just an okay fighter? Because I have an idea. Because I have a cunning plan. <laughs> you're going to a cunning plan, aren't you? It's a cunning plan, actually. Of course it is. That's a... Because I have a cunning plan. Is it going to work? Okay. Because I have a cunning plan. A cunning plan. I have a cunning plan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Subtle plan. Because I have a cunning plan. Because I have a cunning plan. Three on one. Three lizards, three tigers. He can take you all. You're basically being like the fight manager. Oh, Undertaker's gonna take you to the grave! <laughs> It's just the temple at Gazrahat. It's the temple at Gazrahat. See, how difficult is that? Gazrahat. Gibbet.